Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Drama, suspense, action, mystery. How many here this morning, you enjoy watching dramatic, suspenseful, edge-of-your-seat television shows or movies? Let me just see. How many of you like that? You like those kinds of things? How many of you here this morning, not so much? You close your eyes and cover your ears when the scary music comes on. It might not even be scary, but just you know when it's coming with that music, right? Something scary is supposed to—some about half and half. Whatever the case may be for you, our passage today is filled with drama and suspense and action. We have a high-profile court case about to take place in our passage here, and there's a high-stakes case where some are seeking the death of the man on trial. There's going to be in the, in the uh, courtroom, there's going to be a, a chaotic outbreak where, where voices are raised and they start to yell at one another, and, uh, and, and the, 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 one of the, the soldiers, one of the folks there has to put an end to the proceedings, and it kind of knocks the gavel, if you will, quiets it down and says, we've got, to, we've, got to, uh, we've got to take a recess, we'll reconvene on another day when we can get ourselves under control, and so the, the prisoner is taken back uh, to, to his holding place, and in fact, in the chaos of the courtroom, the actual words in our passage is that the chief captain feared that he would be pulled in pieces by them. He literally thought they were going to tear the prisoner limb from limb, and that's in our passage. Then there's an assassination attempt in our passage. A group of 40 men, they go on a hunger strike, and they say, we are going, and they, they hatch a plot, they hatch a plan to stop Paul's convoy on the next day into court, and they're going to kidnap Paul and kill him. They then, they get some corrupt government officials to go along with their plan. But there's, a, there's, there's something none of them saw coming. There is a, a, uh, an unlikely snitch that hears of this plan. And he goes, and he sneaks into the prison. He comes to, to Paul, and he tells him of the plan. And through all of that, the plan is thwarted. And under the cover of night, a, a military cavalcade of about 500 soldiers takes this prisoner out under the cover of night, in the middle of night, far from Jerusalem, to take him to Rome. This is not a boring chapter where we find ourselves in Acts in chapter number 23 this morning. A lot of suspense, and we'll be here next Sunday as well. A lot of suspense, a lot of action, a lot of drama, if you will. Paul here, where we find ourselves, and if you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn with me to Acts in chapter number 23. We finished up chapter 22 last week. And where we find ourselves, Paul is between a rock and a hard place. He's in a place where he's not welcome, surrounded by people who want him dead. He's being held by captors who are ready to beat him, possibly close to death. Scourgings would sometimes lead the prisoner to die. To die. They, they, they want to do this in order to find out why he has attracted so much chaos here in Jerusalem. Last week, we finished up Acts 22, and I preached a message on painful parts of our past. As Paul is addressing 
the, uh, the, the angry mob and, and his captors, those that want him dead, he's sharing his testimony and he brings up some painful parts of his past. And we looked at some thoughts that we can apply to our own lives as, as God used those painful things, self-inflicted pain and others-inflicted pain in his past for God's glory and for God's purpose in Paul's life. But as Paul is being held captive, he shares some truths and and from his testimony there. And we finished up last week where Roman soldiers were about to beat him. Some, some uh, unique interrogation techniques. They say, we got to find out why everybody's upset with this guy. So they're about to scourge him. And if you recall, Paul spoke up right before he's about to get beaten. He was, he was being tied down with some leather straps. And before he's about to be beaten, he says, uh, is it lawful for you to do this to a Roman citizen who has not been convicted of a crime? And their eyes kind of open. Oh, are you, are you a Roman citizen? Yeah, I was, I was born a Roman citizen. Oh, man, well, I paid a lot of money to become a Roman citizen, one of his captors said. And so they go back and they tell him, hey, I don't think you want to beat him right now. He's a Roman citizen. We're going to get in big trouble if we do that. That's where we finished it off last week. Uh, for just a little context, let's pick up the last verse of, of uh, chapter 22, verse number 30. Let's pick it up there, and then we'll get into our text. Acts 22, verse number 30, the Bible says, On the morrow— because he would have known the certainty wherefore he was accused of the Jews, he loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priests and all their counsel to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. So Paul is being held captive by Roman authorities, but they can't beat him. They can't interrogate him to get the answers. And so, uh, so, so he decides, the Roman captors, they say, okay, tomorrow— we're going to put you, he called the chief priests, we're going to put you before the Jewish council. The Jewish council is called the Sanhedrin. We have a kind of an, an, a rendering or a, a, uh, just an artistic or what it might have been, what it would have looked like. And they would meet there. You can see it in the, where the council meetings were held. And, uh, and, and they would gather. There were 71 of them. You had the chief priest, the high priest there. And then on each side of him were 35 members. You can see the one that is, it says accused underneath him in, in a black robe there, the accused. And so the Roman authorities said, we're going to take you to your own. It was the Jewish people that were up in arms anyways that wanted to kill Paul. We're going to take you to the Jewish authorities. We're going to have you sit before the council of the Sanhedrin, and they're going to decide, are you worthy of death? Are you worthy of that? So that's where we pick up our story now. Verse number 23, chapter 23, verse number 1, Paul is standing before the Sanhedrin. Chapter 23, verse number one, the most powerful ruling body, by the way, in, the, the, in, in, the, uh, in Jerusalem, in the uh, Jewish na nation there. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. So he stands up and says that I've not committed any crimes. I have a clear conscience. I've, I've, I've been who I said I am. Verse number two, and the high priest, <clears throat> Ananias, who was a wicked man, by the way, Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. So a soldier right there punches, slaps Paul right in the face. Well, I don't know about you, but you get, I know the Bible says if somebody hits you on the cheek, turn the other cheek, but that's not a real natural response. 
you get hit in the mouth, that, that, that creates some anger, that creates a, re- a reaction. And verse number three, then said Paul unto them, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. That's just, he's saying, you hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. You didn't have the right to do that to me. For sittest thou to judge me after the law and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? You're here to find out if I've broken the law. And while you're trying to find out if I'm breaking the law, you just broke the law. You hypocrite. That takes some guts, standing in front of 70 guys that can put you to death, and the high priest, and some suggest that Paul may not have known that Ananias was the high priest, that he didn't realize who it was that he was saying to. Others suggest that Paul didn't care. The Bible, you could come to both conclusions here. Uh, Paul had been away from Jerusalem for a long time. It was a quick gathering, kind of an, it was an, it was an unplanned gathering of the Sanhedrin, so they may not have been sitting in their normal places. We don't know, but he says this to the high priest, which again, you don't say that. Verse 4, and they that stood by said, revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. And, and uh, here, I believe that Paul maybe didn't realize who it was that he had said that to. He said, I didn't realize who that was. I know the law that I shouldn't have said that. Or maybe it was just an anger that, that he was kind of saying, he doesn't really deserve to be that high priest. I didn't realize, oh, that's your high priest? That's how he acts? I, I wish not that was the high priest. It could have been a sarcastic comment as well. Verse number four, I'm sorry, verse number six. But when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees, and the other Pharisees. So in the Sanhedrin, in the ruling body, there are two differing groups of, of religious leaders in the, that would make, you had the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees did not believe in a bodily resurrection. I had one uh, teacher in Bible college, he said, the way you can remember that, the Sadducees, they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe that there was resurrection after death. And the Sadducees, that what a, we just, as Sammy was singing, he said, praise God, we serve a resurrected Savior. That truth, on, as we celebrate it on Sundays and we celebrate on Easter, that truth brings us great joy and hope, right? Well, they were sad because they had no hope that, that a Savior had resurrected. They were Sadducees. The Pharisees, Uh, they were those that were very focused on keeping the law. By the way, we view them in really kind of a bad light because Jesus pointed, but in that day, at that point, they were very respected. They were very religious, kept their rules. And I was thinking about it, Sadducees, because they were sad, you see. And uh, Pharisees focused on the external. I kind of made this one up this week, how you could remember it. They said, oh, you are fair, I see. Pharisees, looking on the external. No, okay, don't have to go with that. But But the Pharisees really focused on keeping the law and to the detriment of having a relationship. They weren't focused on the internal. Jesus called them whited sepulchers. You look good on the outside, you polish the marble tombstone, but inside is dead men's bones. It's death and corruption inside. They were there. I kept the rules. I ate the right stuff. I dressed the right way. I went to the right places. I kept my, my list of 611 laws. I have good standing with God, right? That was the Pharisees. Well, they, they had differences of opinions. Now notice what Paul does. There's some wisdom here. He, he saw that the one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees. He cried out in the council, men and brethren, a reminder, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisee, by the way, when he was in the Jewish religion, Paul was, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. Paul was really smart here. 
because they didn't like that he was preaching that Jesus rose again, that the Messiah had come. And he said, I'm like you guys. We believe in a resurrection, Pharisees, not like the Sadducees. And the whole reason I'm standing before you today is because I preach there is a resurrection. Now notice verse number seven. And when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit. They don't believe in that spiritual realm. But the Pharisees confess both. And there arose a great cry. And the scribes that were of the Pharisees' part arose and strove. They're ready to fight, saying, We find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And when there arose a great dissension, so they're about to fight. They're, it's getting violent in the courtroom. The chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down to take him by force from among them and to bring him into the castle. So they had sent a Roman soldier in to watch the proceedings because it's the Roman authorities that are trying to figure out why are these people all mad with Paul? They send a soldier in there, and he's standing there to hear what the ruling is so he can take it back to his boss. And while he's standing there, everybody forgot about Paul. Paul said, hey, he looked over to his, the jury of his peers, and he said, I'm a Pharisee like you, and the only reason I'm here is because they, they say that there is no resurrection. They, I'm here because I believe there's a resurrection. And, and all of a sudden, Pharisees said, well, yeah, that's right. There is a resurrection. The Sadducees said, no, there isn't. And they started, they're ready to fight. And the scribes stand up and it's, it's, it's mayhem. It's bedlam. It's chaos. And the soldiers standing there like, uh-oh, they're about to tear him limb from limb. I got to get him out of here. So the soldier goes, grabs Paul, takes him back to the castle where he was. Now this is where we find ourselves. And one person said in Paul's defense, he played the ultimate game of paper, rock, scissors. When they wanted to scourge him, he pulled out his, his paper, his, his birth certificate, if you will. He pulled out the paper, his document showing, I'm a Roman. Then when they hit him on the face, he threw a rock right back. He, thou whited wall, and then scissors, he divided the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He used all three of these things in his defense. But now we come to our text verse this morning and where we'll finish up today and we'll continue it next week. We come to our text verse. So Paul, the mob has tried to almost kill him. They wanted to kill him. They brought him in. They're about to scourge him. It stops. He goes before the Sanhedrin, even more chaos. And Paul, he comes back and he's all alone in whatever cell or whatever they were holding him in. And I want you to read verse number 11 aloud with me this morning. Our text verse, verse 11, ready, Begin, And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. It's nighttime. He's all alone. And if you have a Bible that has red letters, those are red letters. Jesus himself comes and stands by him. And he says a simple phrase. Be of good cheer, Paul. Now, I don't want to take the Bible out of context. I don't want it to say something that it doesn't say. But I don't think we're taking too much liberty. Why would Christ himself need to come pay Paul a visit and say the words, be of good cheer, Paul? I think we can infer from that that Paul was struggling. He was discouraged. He was hurting. He was lonely. 
he was probably, humanly speaking, fearful. How's this going to go? Is this it? I gave my life to God for a quarter of a century, and this is how it ends? This is where it goes? And Christ himself came, and he said, be of good cheer, Paul. And I want to bring us a message this morning entitled, Cheer Up. Cheer up. Be of good cheer. God himself comes to Paul and says, be of good cheer. That, that, that phrase, it carries the idea as you study it. Be of good courage. Be tough. Be strong in the Lord. When our boys were little, they played Little League Baseball. In fact, for six years, I had the privilege to start and run a baseball league that ended up involving hundreds of, of, of kids. And here's some pictures of our two oldest. And well, actually, there's, I guess, little Trey right there too with his blonde hair there. And Titus and TJ. And, and in Little League Baseball, if, you're, if your sons have ever played or if you've ever coached, here's what happens when they're around that age. They get up to bat. And the first time it's, coach, it's player pitch, coach pitch is where the coach kind of underhands and it's all good. It's a softer t-ball, when it gets to player pitch and it's a hard ball, it gets a little scary because seven-year-olds don't have great control of their pitches most of the time. And so balls are flying all over the place. And if you have a six or a seven-year-old, those games are really boring because it's walk after walk after walk after walk after walk. And it's like, oh, we got one hit. Awesome. Like it is like, it's like a prison sentence sitting in those bleachers sometimes. But what happens the first time they're up to bat, they've got it and they get beamed start to cry maybe, get in the back. Oh, that hurt. They, they go down to first base. What happens the next time they come up to bat? As soon as that pitcher goes in his windup, as <laughs> soon as he's right here, as soon as the pitcher pitches it, ball's nowhere near him. What are they doing? They're backing out of the batter's box. And what does the coach say from third base? Stay in there. Get back in the batter's box. Be strong. Be of good cheer. Be courageous. Don't back up. Stay in there. Keep your eye on the ball. Don't, you'll be okay. But, but the natural tendency when you've been hurt is to back out of the batter's box the next time you get in. And what is Christ himself telling Paul? He's saying, get back in the batter's box. It's going to be okay. I'm right here with you. And before we get to the heart of this morning's message, I want us to see what was it that had led to Paul's despair. And it's some of the same things that can lead to ours. I would, I would suggest, number one, you see it in verse 22 of the previous chapter, loud enemies led to Paul's despair. Verse 22, and they gave him audience unto this word. Paul gave his testimony and then lifted up their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth for it is not fit that he should live how would you feel if, if how would I feel I stood up and preached Jesus and at the end of the service the whole crowd stood up and said let's kill him that, that'd be a pretty lonely place to be that'd be a pretty discouraging this guy doesn't deserve to live and that's what Paul had just done he had preached Jesus and his enemies were loud his enemies were a lot louder than his supporters critics almost always are his enemies were a lot louder than those that were on his side. He wasn't hearing from anybody that was on his side. He was hearing from everybody that was against him. And, and in this day and age, it, it feels like sometimes that same thing can happen for Christians. The majority in Paul's community wanted nothing to do with Paul or his God. Does that sound familiar? That can be a discouraging and fearful thing. What does Jesus say when the enemies are loud? Cheer up. Be of good courage. Number two, I see what might have brought Paul's despair, government opposition. 
Those in authority, both Jewish and Roman leaders, seem to be against Paul and his message and his ministry. Powerful people wanted to silence the truths of Scripture, the truths of Jesus. Does that sound familiar around our world today? What did Jesus say to Paul? Cheer up. Be of good cheer. What do I see for Paul? What might have led to his despair? A hopeless situation. It was hundreds, if not thousands, against one. Paul is bound in chains. Hundreds of Roman soldiers have brought him into, into, into bondage, if you will. The deck is stacked against him. There is no way out this time. The Romans want to figure it out, and they're handing him back over to the Jews who already don't like him. They're trying to figure out—they're the same ones that put Jesus to death, that they're not happy about him. There is no way out this time for Paul. That's a pretty— discouraging place to be, do you find yourself in what feels like a hopeless situation? There's no way out of this one. What did Jesus say to Paul? Be of good cheer. Number four, loneliness. I don't know exactly what Paul was thinking, but he might have been thinking something like, I've given my life to God for years, yea, decades. I've invested in countless thousands of people. I've risked my life and I've, I've, I've sacrificed my body. I've gone without to help start dozens of churches. I've made sacrifice after sacrifice. I gave up my comfortable, successful career. I had climbed to the top of the ladder of Jewish leaders. I gave all of that up. I lost everything in order to try to reach everyone. And now I'm all by myself. Does anybody care? Was it all a waste? Does any of this matter? Does anyone see what I've done? Did it make any difference? You find Paul in other places saying, and I am here by myself, paraphrase. I'm all alone. Loneliness is a powerful thing in our lives. And what did Jesus say when Paul thought he was all alone? He came and he said, cheer up. Get back in the batter's box. Be of good courage. Take another swing. Be of good cheer. Loneliness. Do you feel like that sometimes? No one cares where you're at or what you're going through. The message this morning is cheer up. So the command is to cheer up, be of good courage. And this morning, I want us to break down verse 11 with the time we have left. And I want us to see the things that make that command a possibility in our lives. Even when we're experiencing loud enemies, maybe government opposition, a hopeless situation, and loneliness in our lives. And by the way, it's not just the power of positive thinking today. Well, Pastor Ryan told me, cheer up. So I'm going to look in the mirror in the morning and say, you're important, and you're, you can do it today. No, this isn't about I can do it. It's about I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. It's not about this is my power. It's about this is his power. This is not a, a religious spiritual TED talk to give you a shot in the arm. This is your week. You can, you can claim the favor and this is your breakthrough. No, the, Paul had no power in it, nothing within his own power to make his situation better. But Jesus still told him, be of good cheer. And I think there are some, there are some keys to why we can be of good cheer in the midst of the darkest days of our lives that we'll find in 
verse number 11 because you aren't strong enough. You just trying to change your mentality isn't going to work. Your strength is going to fail you at some point. But here are the reasons I see in this passage that Paul could be of good cheer. Number one, it starts right there in, in verse number 11. Number one, we see in the night following the Lord. What are the next three words, church? The night following the Lord, what? Stood by him. Why can you be of good cheer? Why can you be of good courage? Why can you face the struggles you're facing? Number one, the only way we'll be able to do it consistently is because of God's presence in our lives. God's presence. The Lord stood by him. The writer of Hebrews said it this way, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Why can I not fear what man shall do unto me? Because he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It's the presence of God in our lives that can give us the courage to face those things in our lives. Welcome back, Steve. I've missed that clap the last year or so. Glad you're back. It's not our power that gives us courage. It's his presence. Jesus' last recorded words to his disciples in Matthew's gospel were a reminder that he could do, they could do what he had called them to do. Why? Because he, they had his presence, his last recorded words in the gospel according to Matthew. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. God said what he'll be with, he'll be with you to what? Till it's all over. And his presence can give me the courage that I need to face what I'm facing. Cheer up, child of God, he's with you. He'll never leave you. I like that song, I am not alone. The story is told of the man who came to see John Bunyan in prison. That man said, friend, the Lord sent me to you and I have been seeking you in half the prisons in England. To which John replied, no, that cannot be. For if the Lord had sent you to me, you would have come here at once, for he knows that I have been here for years. What was John Bunyan saying? God knows exactly where I am, and he has the whole time I've been here. His presence is giving me the strength to face what I'm facing today. We can't make it on our own. It's the presence of God. God's not wondering, Christian, what happened to you. He's not wondering where you're at and what you're going through. He's not wondering how to help you. He's not wondering what you're feeling. We have not an high priest that, can, priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may be able to find help and mercy in our time of need. We can, we can find that help that we need because we have a Savior who promised to always be with us. What did he say? When I leave, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send a comforter who's going to come. The Holy Spirit, one of his functions in the Christian life is to comfort us. God living in you. I can't comprehend that, and I don't understand it all. But by faith, I believe it, and I feel it, and I trust it. It doesn't even matter if I feel it. I trust that it's true. I am never alone. God's presence is with me. Why could Paul, I don't know about you, again, look at the circumstances. I'm not going to be really happy. You give me a free, free trip to Disneyland with my family, I'm going to be of good cheer. Me and you go out to a nice steakhouse, I'm going to be of good cheer. You put a mob trying to kill me, saying I deserve to die, going to a Roman prison, the Sanhedrin about to tear me limb from limb, 
I'm not going to be of good cheer. But it's not the circumstances that dictates whether or not we're of good cheer. You know what it is? It's not the circumstances. It's the presence of an almighty God. Number two, I see in this, in this uh, passage, why can we be of good cheer? Number two, God's power. You see it there in verse 11. And the night following, who was it that stood by him? The Lord. Who was standing with him? The almighty creator of the universe. The power, the power of the one standing with you matters. The strength of the one standing with you matters. How many of you like me, you remember watching Mike Tyson in his prime fight? Anybody out there? I remember I was DJ. Where's, is DJ in here? DJ, skip church. I saw him earlier. Maybe he's working with the children's ministry or something. I'm not sure. I saw him singing. I remember going to DJ's house when DJ was in junior high when, Evander, when Mike Tyson bit Evander Holyfield's ear and a chunk came off. Watched it live. If you and me were walking down the road a, few, a couple decades ago and Mike Tyson in his prime came up and tried to pick a fight with you in his prime, and I said, hey, don't worry, man, I got your back. How much comfort is that going to bring you? You don't have to laugh that loud, all right, folks? By I got your back, it means I'll be running behind you as fast as I can while calling the police. That's what that means. That's not going to bring you much comfort, is it? Why? Because the power, the strength of the one standing with you matters. If we were to go to a Barrett Jackson a car auction wanting to purchase a rare classic vehicle there in Arizona, a vehicle that might run into the hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars. And I say, I go with you to that auction and I say, hey, we've been friends for a while. You've got access to all the money in my checking account. As you're, as you're placing bids on whatever car you're looking for today, you have access to all the money in my checking account. How much comfort is that going to give you? If you know my checking account, it's not going to give you a lot. I don't know what we're getting, but we're not getting the ones that run into the millions or the hundreds of thousands. Maybe if they have like a beat up old Pinto somewhere, we might be able to get that one. The one standing with you matters. But if you find yourself in a situation where prime Mike Tyson is about to pick a fight with you and SEAL Team 6 says, we've got your back, you might have a little more comfort. They're all loaded up with everything and all their training, and, all their, and you've got 12, 14 trained killers standing by you. You might not be as fearful if Mike Tyson says you want to fight. You, you go to a, that auction and Elon Musk says you have access to all the money in my checking account. That's going to be a much better day at the auction. The power of the one who is standing with you makes all the difference. And in that same passage that I read to you in Matthew 28, where Jesus' final words were, Lo, I am with you always, a couple verses up, he says to them, All power is given me in heaven and in earth. The power of the one who says, Lo, I am with you always, gives you the courage to face whatever you're facing, because there is no temptation which is taking you, but such as is common to man. But God will, with the temptation, Make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There's nothing you face that is beyond his power. There's nothing you face that is beyond his strength. Go ye therefore, he said. After that verse, he said, go ye therefore. Because of the power that I have, you can go and teach all nations. You can do what I've called you to do, facing the turmoil, facing the opposition, facing the pain. You can go and do what I've called you to do. Why? 
because of the power that I have. And I promise I won't leave you. You have my presence and you have access to my power. So what should we do then? We should cheer up. There are a lot of things that you can't face on your own, but there's nothing you can't face with Jesus by your side. So why are you scared? What's keeping you up at night? What's weighing you down during the day? What has you in the depths of despair? May I say this as kindly as I can? I know it could come across as uncaring, but here's what I say. Cheer up. Be of good cheer. Be of good courage. I'm not saying there aren't things in our lives that bring us to our knees and and cause tears and despair. And by the way, I think Paul faced the same thing. But what I am saying is we have access to the same God with the same power that Paul had. The one that stood by him said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That the Holy Spirit that that lives within us, what did the writer of 1 John say? Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. What did John say in his gospel? These things have I spoken unto you that you might have peace. You might have peace. You might have good cheer. You might have courage. You might have peace. What does he say? Why would you have peace? In the world, you shall have what, church? Tribulation, but be of, sound familiar? Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. My power gives gives you the strength to face what you're facing. Number three, why can you cheer up? No, not just, well, Pastor Ryan, he made me feel really good. I'm motivated, I'm ready. No, it's not about your strength. It's not about you turning over a new leaf. It's not about you saying some mantra in the mirror in the morning. It's about you reminding yourself who stands by you and how much power he has. And what else can cause us to be of good cheer? Number three, I see here God's payment system. God's payment system. I like this. He says, be of good cheer, Paul. For as thou hast testified of me, in Jerusalem. What do I see when I read that statement? What do I see there? You know what I see? When Paul might have thought, I don't know if anybody sees what I'm doing. God said, I do. I see everything you're doing and I'll reward you for it. I'm not talking about a work salvation, but, but what does he say? Cheer up. He says, I know how you have served me here. I've watched. I see it. Even no one else appreciates it, how you're living. I see it. I've kept track. And you say, well, that sounds kind of like a work salvation. No, sounds kind of like what Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always. No exception there. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What does Paul tell the Corinthian Christians? You can be of good cheer. You can make it through whatever you're facing. Why? Because God sees your labor and it's not in vain. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. When no one else appreciates it, when no one else sees it, when no one, it seems like no one else cares, what did Jesus say? As you have testified of me here in Jerusalem, I know the way you've been living, and I'm going to reward you for it. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So what is he saying to Paul here? Cheer up and keep serving. 
God is watching. He sees and he will reward. What is he saying to us today? Cheer up and keep serving. God is watching. He sees and he will reward. By the way, not only does God promise that we will receive a reward for faithful service. You can see a crown, those that, that serve faithfully that we get in heaven. Not only does he promise we'll receive a reward for faithful service, even better, and I like this part, even better, he promises that we won't receive the reward we deserve for our fleshly sin if we know Christ as Savior. God's payment system should cheer us up. His payment system is this. If you accept my free gift of salvation, if you've heard the gospel of Christ and let it change your life, hey, cheer up. You're never going to have to face the eternal death that your sin destined you to. I took that payment. God's payment system is, it's mercy. You don't get what you deserve, but it's grace. You get what you don't deserve. His mercy there should cheer us up. His grace in our lives. Jesus took your payment and your punishment so that you would never have to pay for your sins. Cheer up that you have a God that loved you enough to die on the cross for you. The gospel eliminates your burden. It pays your sin debt. It cancels your balance. It forgives your sin, and it imputes the righteousness of Christ to your account so that you and I can enjoy the eternal rewards of heaven through no merit of your own. Cheer up. And then we close. What do I see in this verse? Why can we be of good courage no matter what we're facing? Number four, God's plan. You see the last phrase in verse 11? As thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, that's, I saw what you did, Paul. I, I've seen your work. I've been watching. So must thou bear witness also at Rome. Do you think those words brought any comfort when it seemed like Jerusalem was going to be the place of his death? Seemed like his ministry was over in Jerusalem. Do you think Jesus standing there saying, I'm not done with you? You think that brought any comfort? Do you think that gave him any courage? Next time, by the way, it's not going to be an easy boat ride. It's not going to be an easy trip over to Rome. We're going to find that in the coming weeks. But you know, the next time he has to go stand before Felix, or if he had to go stand, he's thinking, I'm going to have to go back to the Sanhedrin. I think the fear levels might have been a little lower. I don't know what's going to happen here, but I know I'm not dying. Because Jesus himself, his word promised, he's not done with me. I'm not scared about this. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know it's going to turn out not as bad as I originally thought. Last week, I, was, I came home. And, uh, and, and the 49ers, I had recorded that game. And I was trying to watch it. I tell my kids, if we record a game, don't check the scores. I don't want to know. I want to watch it like it's live. I'm trying to watch it while it's, like it's live. And Titus had a little birthday party. And so uh, he had some guys over for his 17th birthday. They were going to swim in the pool last Sunday afternoon. I'm watching the game. And Jeremy comes over. And Jeremy walks in. Jeremy's a Chargers fan like his dad. And Jeremy says, hey, uh, it's only four minutes left in the Chargers game. We're up by four. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll pause my Niners game. I'll go over to your Chargers game, which was live at the time, so we can see uh, the Chargers give them something. They get one win. Let the guy have it, all right? We know how the rest of the season's going to go, but we'll let him be happy for a week. And we'll watch the end of this game. And so we're watching it. You know what I hadn't thought about? The stupid ticker at the bottom of the screen. And so I look, and I see 41-17 or something like that. We were up, Niners. Uh, we were up by like 24, 28 points, something like that. Well, guess what? We were already winning when I turned it by, by 7 or 14. 
But guess what? When I went back to watch that game, I didn't care what happened. I knew it was 41 to 17. You don't lose a game, you're winning 41 to 17. So then I'm watching it, and Todd, who is also a 49ers fan, didn't ask me if I had the game recorded or not, so he doesn't know where I'm watching it. And I get and I try not to check text messages when I'm watching a recorded game. Todd texts me and says, we're going to lose this game. <laughs> I'm really confused now. I mean, Todd, is, he, he can tend toward the pessimistic side on, on 49ers stuff, you know, and, and we've, we've been hurt a few times. And, and, and I'm like, what? I saw the scores, like 41 to 17. I was all happy. I was up good cheer. Now he's, met, now he's like, he's got me. We're going to lose this game. What's this guy talking about? I won't go into the whole story, but we, we could have lost the game. They were one play away from actually coming all the way back and tying us. But I give that illustration when I thought I knew. Now, Todd messed up my good cheer. When I thought, <laughs> when I thought I knew that there was no way we were losing the game, I was watching that game with so much joy, so much comfort. I wasn't worried. Oh, we threw a pick. Who cares? I don't care. Oh, that guy get injured. We got another one. I mean, I didn't say that, but I don't like seeing our guys get injured. But when you know, when you think you know, at least, <laughs> I thought I knew the plan. We, if the game had ended and you see the final score, it doesn't matter what happens in the middle of the game. If you know how, and here, what is God saying? It doesn't end here, Paul. I'm not done with you. It doesn't end in Jerusalem. I saw your faithfulness here in Jerusalem. I'm sending you to Rome. You're going to keep lifting my name. I'm not done with you. And what does that do? That gives, that gives. And Paul maybe thought, God, I, I don't know. You must be mistaken. I'm not sure. But God is giving him a promise that this is just a temporary trial, not a final defeat. And may I say this, and I'm not trying to sound too power of positive thinking, but if you're here today, cheer up. God is is not done with you. If he was done with you, you and I wouldn't be here today. He ha still has a plan for us. I don't know what that plan looks like. I don't know what it is, but I know I have his presence, and I know I have access to his power, and I know that I have the payment system. One, he sees the good that I do and the bad that I do if I've accepted Christ as Savior. I don't ever have to worry about paying for it. That should cheer me up, and I know he's got a plan. As Warren Wearsby said, God brings men to deep waters. Not to drown them, but to cleanse them. Job said it this way, he knows the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He said, I believe God's plan is best even when it hurts. Augustine said, trust the past to the mercy of God, the present to his love, and the future to his providence. Christian, you can trust this plan. There's so much more good stuff in our dramatic, successful story here in Acts chapter number 23, but it's 11.15, and the network executives are telling me that we've re reached the end of our allotted programming. If I go much longer, they say I'm at risk of putting some people to sleep. So like any good mystery, we'll end today's episode with these three words, to be continued. We'll come back next week, and we'll finish this chapter. Come back for the exciting conclusion of Acts 23. We'll finish the story and see if Paul escapes. Spoiler alert, God promised he's going to make it to Rome. We'll come back next week and we'll see the assassination plot and the hunger strike. We'll see, does God come through and how? How does God make good on his promises to Paul here in verse 11? But until next week, I want to encourage you, cheer up. Be of good courage. Get back in the batter's box. Take another swing. God is not done with you. He has promised you his presence. 
You have access to his power. His payment plan is the best in the business. He rewards you in ways you don't deserve, and he doesn't punish you in ways that you do deserve. Trust his plan, and let's walk in it by faith this week. I came to that verse. I don't know about you, but I just got encouraged. I got encouraged. Jesus stood by him, and he said, be of good cheer. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Till your dying breath, if you're a believer, you have the presence of Christ with you to walk with you through anything you face. If you're not a believer, become one today. You can have his presence. You can have access to his power. You can have his comfort. Rest in that. You can have the best payment plan there is. He forgives and cancels every debt. You can have all of that. And you can rest knowing if I'm here today, God still has a plan to use me for his glory so I can be of good cheer. I can be of good courage and I can wake up tomorrow and seek to live for him in the ways that he's called me to our heads are bowed. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.